Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Help me, help me, help me. I've just escaped from being murdered. He's in the house. He's murdered my nanny. Today on the Indo Daily, aristocracy, gambling, murder, and the Irish connection. After 48 years, has Lord Lucan finally been found? A late November evening in 1974 in London's exclusive Belgravia, the nanny of Lord Lucan's family, Sandra Rivet, is found brutally beaten to death. Also attacked at the scene was Lord Lucan's wife, who managed to escape and raise the alarm. But nobody could believe who she claimed killed the nanny. I only gave evidence about the attack on me. And my husband certainly was my attacker. Do you believe also that he killed Sandra Rivet? I think so, yes. And then Lord Lucan vanishes. Police find his car. It's abandoned and soaked in blood. A year later, Lord Lucan is named as Sandra Rivet's killer at the inquest into her death. Authorities suspect that he may have been smuggled abroad with alleged sightings of Lord Lucan across the world from Ireland to Australia, with claims that he had even joined a hippie commune in India. And I've just been to the cold case unit and I believe obviously that I've found the man that could be Lord Lucan. Over the years, the conspiracy theories continued, but the trail went dead. That was until now. A pensioner who lives in the suburbs of Brisbane is said to be uh, Lord Lucan. I'm Fionn Sheen, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by John Downing of the Irish Independent to look at the new evidence that could finally answer the question that has plagued police for 48 years. Where is Lord Lucan? John, the hunt for Lord Lucan, why is it back on again? This is one of the most extraordinary and intriguing stories of, of our age. Um, going right back to 1974, uh, Lord Lucan, uh, a murderer and, and all sorts of other things, disappeared in 1974. Of course, over the years, there were all sorts of sightings and all sorts of false dawns about finding him. Uh, but this time, it's right bang back in the news because uh, a pensioner who lives in the suburbs of Brisbane 
is said to be uh, Lord Lucan. By now, he's uh, 87 years old. A man called Professor Hassan Ugel from the University of Bradford has come up with this artificial intelligence face recognition computer system. It's not just to essentially matching two photos. It's actually matching eight photos. So I actually put them into interval and I asked the algorithm to actually run one against each other and then try and get the results. So the results were actually startling in the sense that they all came to be kind of saying this is the same individual. Now, he's no ordinary scientist, Professor Hassan Ugel. He has form. He successfully unmasked the murders of Jamal Khashoggi. He's a, a, a dissident a journalist and editor who was murdered in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul in 2018. Similarly, Professor Hassan Ugel helped identify the Russian poisoners. They're the people in Salisbury who claimed they were only there to see the cathedral. So this man has, has quite a bit of cred, though, of course, his theories are challenged. John... One other curious development that is also only coming out now, the three Cluedo cards. This is an utterly bizarre uh, new new spin on the story, that these three Cluedo cards, the lead piping, Colonel Mustard and the Hall, uh, were discovered in Lord Lucan's getaway car. And it's only just come out now, 48 years later, but they were found in the getaway car and they were from Lord Lucan's Cluedo set. So seemingly having murdered Sandra Rivet, he's then for some crazy reason, goes into the Cluedo set, takes out these three cards. And then after abandoning the car in New Haven, he leaves these cards there for the police to find. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I mean this this is is this is one from the stranger than fiction department. It has emerged amid all the latest uh, hullabaloo about uh, the, the sighting in Brisbane, Australia, that going back to nineteen November nineteen seventy four, the police discovered his car. They discovered three cards from the the fun board game that that is Cluedo. And the three cards were the mustachioed Colonel Mustard, the lead pipe, and the hall being the venue. And there is a view that uh, old Lord Lucan saw himself as Colonel Mustard. And he did it, indeed, with the lead pipe. And it was, it did happen in the hall of his home. So, I mean, this, you know, uh, I mean, you couldn't make that kind of stuff up. But it does add spice, again, to, to, to the, the whole extraordinary mystery that is Lord Lucan. Take us back in time then to November of 1974 and, and before that. Who was Lord Lucan? Um, he's, his ordinary name, Richard John Bingham. He was the seventh Earl of Lucan. He was uh, pretty much just short of his 40th birthday when he disappeared. It took until... February uh, 2016 before he was formally declared dead. He was a British peer, Anglo-Irish, the eldest son of George Bingham, the sixth Earl of Lucan, and Kathleen Dawson. He 
went to Eton, as as all the best of them did. He served in the Coldstream Guards in West Germany in the post-war era. Uh, had a shocking gambling habit. Loved backgammon, loved bridge, and uh, got himself into all sorts of dif- difficulties. His losses were pretty huge. So suddenly he was having this massive drain on his finances. And he started playing games that really are no professional gambler would play. Well, because the odds are so much against you. But he threw absolutely wildly. So they stopped his credit. You know, he was just tumbling down. Uh, The day job, he was supposedly a merchant banker, but he was basically a professional gambler. At one stage, he he was a dashing, kind of impressive looking guy. He was actually considered for the role of James Bond in the early movie adaptations. So basically, he was he was up there with Sean Connery. I'm looking at a pic of him right here in front of me. Yeah, he was uh, he, he he took a good pick, as we would say down the country years ago. But life began to unravel, the gambling debts mounting, and and the the, the marriage falling apart. Absolutely, and, and extraordinary dramatic stuff. Um, the family home was in the centre of London in very fashionable Belgravia. And on the night of November 7th, 1974, uh, a, a very dishevelled, bloodstained woman ran into a local bar and t- told everybody that she was in grave difficulty and that she had been attacked. Subsequently, when the authorities went, the police landed and the whole lot. I opened the door. And I said, help me, help me, help me. I've just escaped from being murdered. He's in the house. And they were in varying stages of inebriation. And they just gaped at me. And so I said, he's murdered my nanny. And that was that. They found that he, Lord Lucan, had murdered the, the children's nanny, Sandra Rivet, he had also, of course, attacked his wife, and it, it goes on. But his car was found in New Haven on the south coast, and in there was a lead pipe, which, as as the as the police at the time would have said, uh, was consistent with the weapon used to kill the unfortunate nanny Sandra Rivet, and also attack his wife. From there, there was a massive murder hunt that pretty much went on for decades. I wish to interview him, and I'd like to interview him as soon as possible. And if any person is helping him or assisting him, would like them to, uh, or have any knowledge of his whereabouts, would like them to let us know. It went on for decades. It went all over the world. Australia, Ireland, the Caribbean, South Africa, New Zealand. It became something, it's, of course, it was a global story. Uh, it was a hugely uh, gripping tale that everybody Everybody talked about it. I remember my, my own uh, younger years listening to neighbours and friends of, of my of my family discussing all of the great detail and theories. It, it went into newspaper folklore, the mid-70s, still the glory days of Fleet Street and newspapers. And at a Fleet Street Christmas lunch, one of the editors noticed that uh, Lord Lucan, the elusive Lord Lucan, was rarely cited anywhere that wasn't particularly nice, sunny, exotic, and far away. That that little anecdote 
says that uh, the Fleet Street editors began to go very cold on the idea of sending off to Botswana, to exotic Caribbean islands, to to New Zealand, to Australia, questing Lord Lucan. So inevitably, in the absence of any hard evidence, the trail goes cold, so to speak. Yeah, sightings in in Goa and and Hong Kong, largely speaking places where there was a a, a British imperial presence. But, I mean, there was also the, the theory, basically, that he drowned in the channel or, or drowned himself. Yeah, his wife said that, uh, basically, he hopped a cross-channel ferry and took a header off, off the, the railings in the, in the middle of the night. That was her personal theory that, that uh, she, she came out with. There is every chance that he did take his own life or that he died one way or another very early on. It is very unusual in the modern world uh, to, to find somebody, uh, you know, who is completely able to disappear in this in this era. There was a, a quite an extraordinary thing very early on. Uh, police in Australia uh, arrested a man they believed to be Lord Lucan. And it turned out uh, he wasn't Lord Lucan, but he was somebody they very much wanted to to speak to. This was a guy called John Stonehouse. He was a British Labour MP who had disappeared. He faked his own death. It's a very long and very colourful story. But John Stonehouse, it turned out afterwards, was a secret agent for the uh, communist regime in Czechoslovakia. But he also had huge uh, money problems. And there was a curious sort of grace note. He was brought back to Britain and he was subsequently jailed, but he lived a long life after that. But the, the curious grace note is that when the police arrested John Stonehouse, suspecting him to be Lord Lucan, they demanded that he pull down his trousers because apparently Lord Lucan has a six-inch scar on his inner right thigh. So that maybe could, the, the facial recognition evidence is disputed. Maybe they can go as far as having a look for this scar. A, a DNA test of sorts. What about the the official declaration of death? That took quite some time as well. Only 2016 is he officially yes. dead since. The court this morning declared uh, Richard John Bingham, my father, uh, known to most people as Lord Lucan, as to be dead for all legal purposes from 1981. This does not mean that he or any other person can be uh, will, will escape prosecution for the murder of Sandra Rivette in 1974 uh, should the police wish to raise a prosecution. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it caused all sorts of difficulties. There were whole things about his estate, about the will and, and uh, the money, the whole money side of things, trying trying to, to finalise it. And as you say, it took until 2016. There is an Irish element to this because I mentioned he was, he was Anglo-Irish. He, he was basically from a long line of the ascendancy. And there was there was at one stage a lot of property in Ireland, including ground rents in Castle Bar. Now, people, the younger people may be fortunate enough not to know what a ground rent was. A ground rent was that you could never own the ground upon which your house was built. You had a lease maybe 99 years or 900, even 999 years. But it meant that you were paying rent for that ground. I remember my parents, uh, 
many, many years ago, having sending me to uh, a solicitor's office to pay ground rent on our house. Uh, so similarly, there were a lot of those in Castle Bar. And somebody in the mid-70s, soon after, uh, a very new TD called Enda Kenny, future Taoiseach, uh, took up the cause of people who were trying to buy out their ground rents. Ground rents were subsequently abolished. And part of the way of, of securing the abolition was that people were entitled to buy them out entirely. And of course, this couldn't be done because Lucan was legally still alive, couldn't be contacted, couldn't be dealt with. So Enda Kenny was a very vocal uh, advocate on behalf of the people of Castlebar at the time. Then we have a year later, L- Lord Lucan's wife, she commits suicide again. She had lived with this this tragedy in in her life for the for the previous uh, thirty forty odd years. Yes, she took her own life in twenty seventeen at the at the age of eighty. It was a strange thing. She was wrongly diagnosed. She had wrongly diagnosed herself with Parkinson's disease. But uh, as I say, she said before her her death that she believed her husband had jumped off a cross-channel ferry and died. They had three children, Francis, a girl, George and Camilla. George was recently asked about it and uh, obviously he's been trying to get on with his life, as one would, and uh, he was utterly dismissive. He just said, look, there have been so many uh, sightings of my father, all of which were wrong. So um, he's really not uh, one for getting into this latest twist and controversy. Of course, I noticed a couple of days ago on online, a letter writer to the Sydney Morning Herald said, uh, this is part of how the, the thing still lives in the folklore, that if Lord Lucan is living in a suburb in Brisbane, shouldn't they also check for Shergar, the celebrated Irish horse? Of course, for a long time, people used to say, who won the derby? Uh, Shergar, ridden by Lord Lucan. Shergar being a horse uh, kidnapped by uh, Republican elements in 1983 from outside uh, Newbridge and never seen again. A very, very celebrated uh, award-winning horse who had been retired to uh, stud. Yeah, and Shergar being ridden by Lord Lucan, of course, ends up in Christy Moore's Listoon Varna. And Lord Lucan is very much a punchline in lots of jokes over the years. But nonetheless, Sandra Rivet, never any justice in that case. Uh, a, a murderer never brought before court. Absolutely. And of course, the class element of it as well. You know, the toffs can get away with things, sort of, sort of a feeling. And you get a sense of how of the, the lasting damage of incidents like that. Sandra Rivett's son, a man called Neil Berryman, has devoted an awful lot of time and effort to trying to find out where Lucan is or where he ended up or what the wind up of it all was. And he's a leading figure in this uh, latest uh, attempt to identify Lord Lucan and, and pinpoint where the, the hell he is. Where have you been this morning, Neil? Uh, I'm here in Putney, um, and I've just been to the Cold Case Unit, um, which is part of Scotland Yard. Who did you meet inside the police station, Neil? Uh, I met a lady officer um, who took details from me about my investigation work that I've been doing for the last 10 years um, and I believe obviously that I've found the man that could be Lord Lucan. 
over the years as well, suggestions from former staff that the kids were being flown out to Africa to meet him. What do you make of that? all that, that folklore, I suppose, that has built up about Lord Lucan over the years? Instructions were to make arrangements for John Bingham, um, also known as Lord Lucan, to see his children. And to do that, I had to book his two eldest children um, on flights to Africa. Well, you'd have to be sceptical. I mean, it is not beyond the bounds of possibility. I suppose the 70s, I mean, we were in a pre-computer era. The life was, to some degree, simpler. I'm just a skeptic when it comes to these things. I'm not a great one for conspiracies, but it's kind of check your prejudices and see, really, Finon. If Lord Lucan were alive today, he'd be a very good age. Do you reckon now, at, at this point, with the passage of time, he'd ever be found? Well, I mean, there seems to be, you know, difficulty and technical difficulties. He is, we were told, I mean, there is even a, a twist to this one. We're told that he's living in a sort of a, a Buddhist retreat, that he needs nursing care. It's a kind of informal Buddhist retreat. But I mean, they really, the police, the authorities really should get in there and definitively decide this one. Um, and my own suggestion is let's have a look at his inner thigh and see if that scar is still there. My thanks to John Downing for joining me today. I'm Fionn Sheen, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced and researched by Gareth Mulhall, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from Thames TV, the BBC, Channel 7 News, the History Channel, The Mirror, The Evening Standard, Five News, and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. And to hear more of our award-winning journalism, visit independent.ie or wherever you get your podcasts.